Our first Bible reading today is Psalm 119, verses 113 to 120, and that is on page 620 of the Church Bibles. That's page 620. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I shall live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I shall be delivered. I shall always have regard for your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. And the second reading, the second Bible reading today, comes from 1 John, chapter 2, verses 18 to 27, and that is on page 1,226 of the Church Bibles. That's 1,226. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, 
the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Thanks, Miranda, for reading that. Keep that open, and let, I'm going to pray for us as we come to look at these words. The psalmist says, Sustain us, O God, according to your promise, and we shall live. Do not let our hopes be dashed. And Heavenly Father, here we are, your people that you've gathered, uh, and we need to hear from you. So please help us to be attentive to your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to put this up a bit. Um, Now, if you like children's stories, and who doesn't like children's stories? They're brilliant. Well, most of them are. Postman Pat stories are not very good. I've read those to my boys too often. They're a bit boring. But lots of children's stories are good. And if you've been around children's stories at all, you've probably come across Roald Dahl, um, the author. What a prolific talent. All sorts of incredible ideas. The Chocolate Factory. I mean, just... Just that as an idea is amazing, isn't it? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with the Oompa Loompas. Just delightful words to say. Or another favorite for our family has been the big friendly giant uh, with all of his crazy speaking. If you've, if you've read any of the big friendly giant stories, you, you know the kind of stuff he says. Things like this. Don't, don't gobble funk around with words. words. Words is such a twitch tickling problem to me in my life. Uh, and then uh, another line that always gets uh, guffaws in our house, a whispopper. A whispopper, cried the BFG. Us giants is making whispoppers all the time. Whispopping is a sign of happiness. You surely is not telling me that a little whispopping is forbidden among human beings. And by that measurement, my children are some of the happiest children in the world with the amount of whispopping that goes on in our house. And if you still don't know what whisk popping is, um, come and see me later. Not for a practical demonstration, just, <laughs> just for an explanation. I love, I love Roald Dahl's and that, that kind of imaginative world as you get into it, all, all the, the made-up words. What I love even more is a number of years back, I came across the reason for why all those made-up words came into his story. It, it was after his wife had had a stroke. Uh, they'd been in the States. Uh, she had a stroke, was very ill. Her speech was affected. He brought her back to the UK. Uh, in the, the village where they lived, they got neighbors around, and he, he nursed her as she, she learned to speak again, got her language back. But at times, words would come out in a, a sort of messed up, confused kind of way, and he, he put it into his books. I love that. Um, and it made me think about other things in his books. If you've read Roald Dahl's children's stories, you, you'll know there's, there's kind of similar themes in, in many of them. There's often families with someone missing. Parents who are gone. Children coping with loss. Uh, there's also often a, a sense of threat in them. I mean, they're, they're quite alarming at times. I, I remember reading them as a parent to, to our boys and thinking, this is quite alarming, the enormous crocodile. He wants to eat children up. Uh, there's crocodiles in his stories, sense of threat, giants, or worst of all, head teachers. They seem to be some of the worst. 
I always wondered what was behind it, and then I learned Roald Dahl was a fighter pilot in World War II, and he knew what it was like to lose friends. Talked about families he knew, uh, where their dads wouldn't be coming home. Had a, had a profound impact on him as he came back from the war. He knew what it was like to lose friends, and it, he knew families with loved ones not coming home, and he, he knew, I guess, there are enemies that threaten And battles, even with that, that are worth fighting. And so it came out, even even in these books, for children. And here we are on Sunday morning with a different book open in front of us that we're going through these weeks. And yet this one also says, there are enemies that threaten and battles for you and me that are worth fighting. And it's also a book that's written for children. Did you notice that? Verse 18, where John writes, Dear children. But we know here, it's not really, is it? It's not really describing an age so much as identifying a family. It's John's way of saying to his readers and to you and me listening, if, if you really are a Christian... If you really are someone who's a Christian, you're in God's family now. He's brought you in. You're on the inside. You're you're one of God's children. And yet he's also saying, as we'll see in this passage, he's also saying, into any normal Christian life, there are enemies that threaten and battles worth fighting. So here's three things this morning uh, that we'll see. Look, Christians will face enemies. Uh, The battle line is often drawn around Jesus. And we fight by remembering what we know. The first thing, Christians uh, Christians will face enemies. Uh, Verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. What's that all about? You read something like that, talking about Antichrist. If you watch those kind of scary films... You can imagine all sorts of things. But look, John's readers would know, and I guess many of you would know, if you use the word anti before another name, it's, it's meaning someone opposed to that person or, or also kind of claiming an equivalence to them, wanting to take their place. You, you know the kind of thing. The, the other year, many true fans felt that Channel 4 really started the anti-bake-off. It couldn't possibly be the real bake-off because that's only and ever on the BBC So Channel 4's version, that's the anti-bake-off. Now, it's a bit of fun with a TV program, isn't it? But someone being anti-Christ, you get what they're saying. This is someone opposed to Jesus, but not passively. No, they're going to try and take his place. Does Jesus Christ, in saving people, call them to follow him? Well, an antichrist will in some way try to get people to follow them. That's verse 26. You see what John says? I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And you get what John's saying. Verse 18, you have heard the antichrist is coming. Even even now, many antichrists have come. There seems to to be someone who will be, at some point in the future, a a final and decisive opponent of Jesus. And and Christians have always been warned about that. 
uh, from the earliest days of the church onward. That's why John says, you have heard. We, we spoke to you about this. Now, we talked about these kind of things. But it's, as well as that final figure, there's, there's also little versions popping up all the time. Many antichrists have come. So John's saying, look, whatever stage you're at in, in church history, even us now, we'll face this kind of enemy. Some will want to lead us away from Jesus. And it's only when you ask that where do they come from that the real tragedy begins to hit home. That's verse 19. You, you see what he says. They went out from us. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. These, these opponents, these antichrists, they, they didn't look like monsters. Uh, depending on the films you've seen, they, they didn't look like monsters. They didn't have any horns on their heads. No, they, they looked like Christians. They were, they were well-spoken. They probably had, or they, could, they probably didn't have, but they could have had dulcet Scottish tones. And they could have been handsome and Scottish, that kind of thing. The kind of people... You'd like to uh, invite round for lunch. They were in the church. But here's the thing John's saying. Look, they, they wouldn't stick with the apostles' teaching when disagreement came up. They wouldn't let God's word settle the discussion, so they went out from it. Not geographically, that's not what he's meaning. They, they went out from that teaching, but they didn't go away. And so they hung around as a as a disruptive influence, trying to get people to follow them as well. You understand what he's talking about. And we'll spot the big ones, won't we? Look, a bishop that flatly distorts the truth of the Bible, John would say that is the perfect CV for someone employed as an antichrist. But look, part of my problem is while those guys have applied for the the big jobs, I'm tempted to look for work experience in the same role. I used to work for a church up in uh, Sheffield. I, I looked after the students that would come along on Sundays and, and during the week. And we had a student group on Sunday morning. I'd often do the, the Bible talks there. And from time to time, one of the ministry trainees, uh, like we've got here, would, would do the, the Bible teaching. One of them was a, a guy called Lewis. He was really gifted in just about everything. He could pick up he could pick up any musical instrument and play it. I came in uh, one, one day, I think one Monday during the week, he had this little little instrument. I said, what is it? He said, a piccolo trumpet. I'd never seen it before. I said, do you play that? Never tried. I thought I'd give it a go, so I found one on eBay. It was playing it by the end of the week. Fine. I thought, like, incredibly gifted. Sporting as well. Could outrun anyone, play football run for miles, and really humble, which is like, makes it doubly annoying as well. It was never a show-off. And was a very gifted communicator, could teach the Bible. And I remember thinking, as I listened to him speak that Sunday to our students, these guys might like him more than they like me. Perhaps I shouldn't let him do this too often. And then I thought, and I can, remember, I can remember sitting there in the room, I can remember as I thought it, the next thought was, David, what are you saying? Do you want this group of people to follow Jesus or follow you? And I think John would say to me, David, you were beginning to think like an antichrist, putting myself in his place. 
And it felt to me on that occasion like a, a quick rebuke from the Lord. But you and I need to be careful, don't we? We hear words like antichrist. We need to be careful how we operate. Getting involved with groups at church. Only if I feel I've got an influence. Refusing to listen to correction from the Bible. Uh, wanting to draw people into to my little group within church life, which is a little bit different. It's a fine line, isn't it, between different and we're just a little bit better. Uh, wanting to really divide people rather than encourage them to, in a united way, follow Jesus together. And that's why it's helpful to hear what John shows us next. Look, the battle line is... It's often around Jesus. John's saying, look, you need to know some spiritual people or some people who claim to be spiritual might not be the real deal. And he anticipates our next question. Look, if they're friendly and they're warm and they're in church and they look like the real deal, how do you spot them? That's verse 22, isn't it? Who is the liar? How do you spot them? And John says, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. And he's, he's not meaning just ask someone, do you think Jesus is the Christ? Answer yes, they're good. Answer no, well, that's how we know they're bad. That's a bit too obvious, isn't it? People would, would click on to that one. No, it's his, it's his shorthand way of saying, look, when you talk about Jesus, his name doesn't just mean whatever you want it to mean. It stands for some pretty definite things. And we understand that, don't we? If I said, look, here's a couple of other names. If I said Boris Johnson, well, he stands for well-brushed hair and an openness to robust TV interviews. You might raise an eyebrow. Really? Or if I said, thinking back to my home country, Nicola Sturgeon, leader of the SNP, she stands for a quiet, moderate Scottish voice in encouraging the preservation of the United Kingdom. You might say, that's not who they are. And if I said, well, that's how I like to think of them. That's who they are to me. Well, you might say, well, good for you. But at best, you're mad. And at worst, you're a liar. That's verse 22. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies Jesus is the Christ. John's saying, look, it's it's anyone claiming Christian leadership. Or, Or even if they've not got an official role, anyone who's claiming some kind of Christian influence over you, saying you should listen to me. Anyone claiming that kind of influence who's changing something about Jesus. At the beginning of his letter, John said, back in chapter 1, verse 2, he said, we, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's saying there is a someone who is eternally God the Son, has a divine nature. He is God. And he's come as Christ, the Savior God promised. And John's saying that divine Savior, he took to himself a a human nature, was born as a man. He had an, an address and an accent. You'd be able to tell if he was from Wolverhampton or the West Country. And with this guy, he, he actually grew up in Nazareth. You could, humanly speaking, you could spot him. You could pick him. I know where you're from. 
and his name was Jesus. But John's saying Jesus is not just a human in some way into which God's spirit has come. He's not just like a a souped-up person in that kind of way. No, he is God. There there is a right sense in which if you were walking around in Palestine 2,000 years ago, you could meet God face to face. Jesus is God. He's, he's taken on our human nature. And John will explain further the reason he did that, the reason he, he took on that human nature, that human life, was so he could give it away in order to save people. But Jesus is fully God and fully human. But there's other people saying different things. And some are saying, in effect, look, Look, as you think about this Jesus, and as you think about Christianity, it's just the spiritual part that matters. It's thinking about spiritual things. It's, it's kind of like this, look, Jesus just wants you to be spiritual. Don't, don't think too much, or don't worry too much about Jesus having a body. It's not really about him being born a human. Why would you, why would you bother so much about that? Jesus is more about what you believe, being being spiritual, connecting with God in a, in a way that really helps you. And it sounds a bit strange, but you realize what it does. See, if God the Son didn't take a real, a real human nature, if he didn't have a real body, then he's not really bothered about the things that go on in my body, what I do with it, where I put it. And that's interesting. So how much I drink, or whom I share a bed with, or what I watch on the internet, none of those are really that important, because they're kind of body things, aren't they? And Jesus is not really bothered about that stuff. He's just about spiritual stuff and believing things. So those other things, they're, they're not that important, and they're certainly not sin. So, so that means I can skip over those bits of the Bible that tell me something different, and And if that's true, what follows is, look, Jesus doesn't save me, he just comforts me. These little groups that John's beginning to call Antichrist, they're they're not atheists. They totally believe in God. It's, It's just if sin isn't really a problem, well, then you don't need a savior. You'll imagine Jesus is someone who just comforts and encourages, wants to tell you you're brilliant. And these guys that John's writing about, they think they're brilliant. It's why in verse 20, John says to his readers, look, you have an anointing. The reason he's saying it is because, look, these false teachers, they're, they're claiming to have some kind of spiritual anointing. They're so spiritual, and, and Jesus has anointed them and empowered them in a special way. And and John's wanting to say to his readers, look, look, you have an anointing. Don't, don't be put off by these guys that are claiming to be super spiritual. But John will remind them, and we'll see this in a few weeks' time, John chapter 4, verse 10. He keeps saying things like this to his readers. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. If you want to think about being spiritual, this is what you've got to think about. This is the Jesus we need. He's not saying this to to rob you of your joy, of your, your sense of identity as a person, but when you are faced with the worst you know about yourself... 
On those days when you know you're a complete muck-up and you're faced with the worst and you can't believe, you can't believe there's anyone who would love you. You don't need someone, as the BFG would say, who gobble-funks around with words. You need to hear the kind of solid love that can secure and save you as a whole person. A Savior who is God and yet has come in a human nature and died as a man in order to save men and women wholly and completely. And John's saying, if you say you believe in Jesus, you've got to believe the right things. And that battle to believe, it's really worth fighting because, we'll just look at verse 23. Just see what he, he says there. No one who denies the Son has the Father. John's saying you, you lose this Jesus and you lose everything. And that would be a tragedy. So how do we battle? Here's the last thing. Look, we, we fight by, well, not being all aggressive. No, we fight by remembering what we know. That's what John's getting at. I don't know if you spotted this as we, as we read through these words. John says a, a kind of funny thing. He doesn't seem to think we need anything new. Look, verse 21, he, he says to them, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Feels like an odd thing to say until you, you understand what's going on. He, he doesn't mean that there's no place for Bible teachers. But he is writing to people who've heard the gospel, and what he's saying is, look, you don't need anyone to teach you anything new. You don't need a new gospel. You don't need teachers who are coming in to tell you something else, additional, that, oh, as well as believing in Jesus, you need this other bit as well. Bible teachers teach the same gospel. You've heard, that's why on Sundays we, we open up the Word together. So four things to remember and think about just as we, we draw to a close. First of all, don't think I'd never be led astray. I mean, we're all very clever people here, aren't we? We're smart. We're not going to be duped easily. But John says, look, we'll face enemies. And if I think I'll never be taken in, I'm kidding myself. And I'll lose the fight before it's begun. No, we're to be humble and teachable. And know that we're prone to wander and get things wrong. There's more than one reason that the Bible addresses us as children. And here's the second thing. Look, do what you can to encourage unity. If it's the plan of Jesus to make a, a kind of united, joyful people for himself, then it's always the plan of anyone who is antichrist to try and split that up. The conversations I have are the encouraging unity around what the Bible teaches, or, or are you a gossip and a grumbler? The emails we send, the questions we ask, do it in Christ-like ways. And look, keep asking, be regularly asking, am I doing this following Jesus? It seems to be the pattern of anything antichrist. It, it sort of imitates Jesus, but then always tries to take his place. So in church life, when we're serving, to ask, am I, am I trying to serve Jesus or am I serving my own ego? 
Am I helping others follow Jesus? Am I okay when after I've helped them, they talk about Jesus and even sometimes forget about me? How do you feel when somebody forgets to thank you after you've done something for them? Yeah, we want to be doing this following Jesus. And I look finally, plan to be at church on Sundays. If we know we can be led astray, if we believe that, and the way to keep going is to be reminded by God's word, then it would be crazy foolish to regularly plan to miss being in the place where you'll be reminded by God's word. We shouldn't make church the thing we do as long as we don't have any other plans. It should always be the other way around. Is there a very good reason why I should change my habit of going to church for this other thing? And John says, if you want confident joy, if you want to stick close with Jesus, we remember enemies will come. And there's some battles that are worth the fight. Let me lead us in a prayer, and then Rachel will come and lead us on. Lord God, you are our refuge and our shield. We have put our hope in your Son through your word. Sustain us, our God, according to your promises, and we shall live. Please do not let our hopes be dashed. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.